All right. Well, welcome back to another episode of Classroom 21, where we have a, a guest with us today in the classroom, a new pupil, if you might want to say. Mm-hmm. Or a new, mm-hmm. uh, a new instructor, if you were. Might be yeah, a better you way of thinking of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. We have uh, Miss Lakita Long, a licensed uh, therapist. Would have let her introduce herself. Yeah. So, Ms. Long, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, hello. Uh, I am Lakita Long. I am a, a licensed professional counselor. I've um, been in the business for over a decade. Um, and it's uh, been a joy of mine. I've, I've learned throughout the years that uh, my focus and attention has really been working with individuals who struggle with trauma, anxiety, and depression. Um, and I am happy to be here this evening, lending any support I can to this conversation. All right. Well, thank you for being here. We are honored for you to be here, and uh, we hope to uh, be able to learn. Awesome. Thank you. But Ken, she's trying to be modest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can tell. I yeah. can tell she's being humble. Yeah. She's been, this is probably one of the smartest people I've ran across <laughs> in a very, very long time. And uh, when I, let me tell you, I believe it. I mean, we're still we're still in school. She is what we aspire right. to right now. So we're still working toward that. We yeah. still got a ways to go before we we can get to her mm-hmm. level. So we got a lot but to learn. But this, but this is one of the ladies that taught me how to do group. That's why I like group so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So she taught me how to do group. Uh, and then some of the techniques uh, that, I, especially mindfulness. Yeah. Uh, I've been using that for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my introduction to Ms. Long was uh, she was doing a child's group at, a, oh, at another facility. And uh, so I was the muscle, you know, outside of the yeah. child group, not the muscle. You know, so she was jumping across the chairs. And I thought, <laughs> I thought something was going on in the room. I said, why is that woman jumping mm-hmm. all across them chairs in that room like that? I thought the kids was trying to do something to her. Right. But, that was her group, man. That was the group. I don't, I don't yeah. know what it was, but <laughs> was jumping all over the place. Yeah, we had a good time. I and that is one of my. Uh, I mean, I I love doing therapy and uh, group therapy is is one of my great interventions. Um, just to connect with people in that group setting, and jumping across the chairs was probably one of my ways of having fun, but demonstrating the concept at the same time. Um, so yeah, those those were those were memorable days. You're right. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So, Ken, this is uh, the topic you brought to me earlier this week. Uh, so try to explain to us what we'll be talking about today. Okay. So um, you had mentioned in um, an earlier episode of the podcast how you you preferred to refer to yourself just as, as far as your, your racial identity as black rather than African-American. And uh it just we we kind of skimmed over that because we were talking about something else, but but that kind of stuck out to me, and I was curious about that. And so we uh, were talking the other day a little bit, and I asked you about that and asked if that's something you'd want to talk about on the podcast, and uh, so you have agreed. And um, so yeah, that's uh, just so if you want to talk about where your uh, views on that came from, and if you if uh, things have happened in your life that have caused you to change your opinions on, uh, on how you identify racially or things like that and, um, and how it relates to the current uh, racial environment in the country today. Oh man, that was a loaded question, that man. 
Well, I know there's a lot, man. I'm just I'm just trying to set it up for you, man. So you can, so you can just talk for a while, and I can sit back and relax. <laughs> first, I first will say this right because uh, I mean, uh, Ms. she is a uh, she's a, a woman of color herself, you know, with uh, being a therapist. So first, before I get into my long spiel about why I why I do it, uh, I will ask her like, okay, so. First, I want to know, like, professionally, mm-hmm. you know, which, which way is better professionally? Mm-hmm. And then personally, which way do you feel uh, to be identified? Because I don't think I don't think I've ever asked you that question. Mm-hmm. Ever. I mean, this is not something that we speak about in our community. You know, it's um, I think in our community, we as we mature, we all gravitate away from the N-word, but we don't gravitate towards anything else. We, we haven't really solidified that. Um, and so I would say the first question of um, kind of the, the labeling as a professional is the easier to answer because it's right there on every application, the African-American, you know, Hispanic or non-Hispanic. Uh, so professionally, mm-hmm. that's, that's, um, that's easy. You know, you just check one of those boxes. Um, now, personally, for me, it's a, it's a different story. Um, particularly because of researching and and, uh, learning about the history behind slavery, Uh, hearing some of the different uh, accounts of of how that happened. Um, Growing up, my interpretation of slavery was, you know, Africa was, you know, pretty much taken over and people were just taken by force. And, um, but then as I, I grew up and, and read more and researched more, it came out to be that our own people sold their own people. Um, and so that, mm-hmm. that was a struggle for me. That was a struggle. Uh, I also heard uh, this one comedian, what was his name? Paul, oh my gosh, I can't recall his, his whole name. He's a political like. Yeah, yeah, that guy. He was even on the Dave Chappelle show, like real funny guy. Um, but in one of his stand-ups I was watching, he he made kind of mention to this that same uh historical fact. Uh and and even more so where he talks about how, you know, the people of Africa, the country of Africa didn't, you know, they didn't rise up, they didn't come and get us. And so during that period of my life and and, and it has impacted me to this day, I consider like Am I really even African? You know, it's just it's just really on a personal level. Do I want to? Am I even associated mm-hmm. with Africa? If I got on a plane and went back to Africa today, would the people there like embrace me? Um, and so personally, that has been a question. That's been a, a real question for me. You know, in, in my identity, like I definitely identify with being American because that's you know where I've been born and raised, but. Mm-hmm do I really consider myself African? And I would have to say, no, I, I don't, I don't have any of that culture. I don't really uh, connect with um, any of that ancestry. Um, and I don't feel like I would be welcomed if I went there. So I'm American. I'm, for yeah. me personally, I, I closely more identify with being a black American. All right. Well, I yeah. want to try to let um, Ms. Long talk first because I know she can kind of, you know, be more eloquent than what I would say. 
Oh yeah, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense, and it's it's interesting to me too because obviously, I, well, I'm you know white, <laughs> you know, identifying, and so it's it's different because I know that um, like being 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 white, you know, my I'm, I'm not as conscious of race. It's something you know if if you're in the majority, it's not something that that is as a part of your daily life as much as if you're if you're in the minority, then it's more it's more prevalent. It's yeah. something that's going to be a bigger part of your everyday experience, but um. It seems to me that that what you described is I would feel the same way. I've I've got a lot of ancestors from from Germany, mm-hmm. and I mean, I Germany would be just as alien to me as anywhere yeah. else in the world. I think right now I don't I don't have anything in common with Germans. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's been ge- ma- many generations, so it's like you know it's kind of the same mm-hmm. thing. We're all Americans, yeah. and uh, so yeah, it seems definitely seems to make sense. I can I guess I can relate to that. Yeah. And, now just pick it off on on a sidebar. That's kind of been the burning question of mine on the flip side of thing. Like, would you prefer being called white or Caucasian? Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess it's really not. It's not something that uh, I guess I call Ken white or Caucasian. Um, I don't know. Probably white, just because Caucasian is a weird word. <laughs> it's just a. It's just a weird word, so I don't know. I mean, I don't have anything against mm-hmm. it. <laughs> you know what we call Anglo-Saxon? Huh? And uh, like, yeah, I don't know because it's interesting that because really, you know, white doesn't seem like a very good identifier to me either because there's so much that's encompassed in that. There's so much of the world, you know, the different parts of the world that would fall under that umbrella racially that, that are so different from each other that it's really, it, it doesn't seem to me to be a very good identifier in itself anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a lot of it is just the baggage that we have in this country because the, the history that we have with race in our country is kind of like the ideas of quote unquote white and black are more cemented into our collective consciousness and i think it is in probably most countries of the world or a lot of countries anyway yeah mm-hmm. All right. well my spiel comes like very early on uh in life and i guess mine would be more personal uh than professional uh for me uh, i became very conscious about my race uh it had to be from around the 90s uh when we had this thing uh about uh checking the box it was like uh, the post office box and thing was changing, and they had a uh, box there for other, which at the time I didn't really know what the other was supposed to be for. But I remember going to school and they was talking about this this other, and it was supposed to be for people who was like mixed, or uh, even if you was mixed and you was like Russian or something like that, they was just like you know this is the box you check, and then you can write in your uh, race or what have you. So that was when I first became really conscious about my race. And then I went to college uh, in 97, 98, 96, 97, went to college. And we had to do a research thing for our, uh, our last name, you know. And uh, so and so I researched it and I realized that, you know, my last name uh, was like from Scotland. And it was like uh, it, it had nothing even to do with. You know, like uh, the name I had today was all jacked up. It was, you know, all these different uh, different uh, surnames of it. And then uh, the people, uh, my all of my ancestors was white until like 1871, I believe. Hmm. And when they first came into uh, Georgia, 
in like 1871. And then there, there was a, a white guy that ended up having relations with a black female. And during that time, of course, we know, you know, this was probably more of a relationship that he kind of just took or what have you. But she was a real young black female. He fell in love with a black female. They ended up having five kids. And then that kind of, oh, wow. yeah, that kind of spooled us all out around the country. So when we got down to the thing in school about the check in the box, it was a, you know, weird thing to me because I never really thought about, you know, African-America versus black. So then that was a, a poet that came on uh, Showtime at Apollo. Uh, and I shared the, the language. Her name was Jessica Caremore. And um, she had this poem called Box This. And it talked about checking the box, the different types of um, the different types of uh, races and things of this nature. You know, and she was saying, you know, of course, you know, she's just saying, you know, you, she couldn't be boxed a sort of type, you know, kind of like what I got from the conversation. So then after doing the, the research in college and then uh, realizing that there wasn't a lot of clients in slavery. So I said, OK, so. Uh, coming around, my family was pretty much white, you know, to 1871, and now we were black, you know, and so did I feel a connection to being an African American? I definitely didn't feel that connection at all, you know. So, um, mm-hmm. going through the uh, police department early on in life, um, I was just, I was just black, and I wasn't African American. I wasn't uh, some other chopped up version of an American. I was just a regular black person. And that's just kind of mm-hmm. how I felt. And so I really, it still didn't really dawn on me that, you know, okay, this is how I was feeling until I came around and saw that little box, you know. <laughs> I happened to, I saw the little box. Uh, our actual re- incident reportings had actually changed a little bit. And I thought it had a lot of stuff on there as far as incident reporting for a police officer or whatever, and then saw that little box. And I happened to say a little bit of other, and I was just like, this is crazy, you know? So, and this was a few years apart from each other. And it just, and from that point on, I just kept saying, you know what? I'm just a, I'm just a black American, you know? I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, African American. I'm not Haitian or Dominican or what, any other different version of black that's out there. I'm just a regular black mm-hmm. person. So then I went to, uh, when I decided to go back to school, in uh, 2014, I was reading in one of the books, and they were saying that race was a social uh, construct. And I'm like, okay, so now let me read this. <laughs> now what are they saying? You know, that there's really no such uh, concept as race. You know, there's, you know, there's technically no black, no white, or whatever. You know, it's just you have a, you know, you could be a nationality or whatever. You know, to say you're American, but there was no concept of race or what have it that we invented you know race and of course i didn't really go down the line because by this yeah. time obviously i was well into the concept that i'm just a black american I'm just a yeah well there, there are there are certain biological factors that do seem to go along with people you know they go along certain lines um it's what's interesting i, I remember reading something a long time ago the uh, about the the australian aborigines the aboriginal people on um, the continent of Australia, you know, are very, if you look at them, they're very, very dark skinned. You know, they're very like, if by most anybody's, you know, thoughts today, you know, they probably, if you just showed them a picture of some Aborigines and said, you know, what are they? Are they white, black, Hispanic, whatever? They say, oh, they're black. But 
biologically, the, the different biological markers that, that follow people, if you go by those, they're technically Caucasian. They're, you know, they, they have all the, uh, aside from their skin, their, their melanin levels, you know, they're all the other normal biological factors and physiological factors that are categorized with, you know, people who are Caucasian are there. Like, so it's, I thought it was really funny that, you know, that, that race, I guess, you know, it, it's interesting because there are, you know, certain biological factors, yeah. but it's like you were saying, Antonio, that, you know, race overall really is kind of a social construct because when you look at these people, you know, they're technically, they're, they are Caucasian, you know, physiologically, but, you know, they're very, very dark skinned. So it's it kind of, you know, throws our, uh, our normal uh, paradigms out the window, I guess. But then in my opinion, it seems like that uh, when we get into the concept of color in the black community, and I mean, we can talk about the, the, the social stuff that's going on now, you know, in a little bit, but it seems like when we get into the concept of race, we almost have to talk about colorism in the black community before you can even talk about just the race in black in the black community you know because colorism is probably worse in my opinion in the black community than it is just saying you know whether a person considers themselves to be black or african american you know cuz colorism is pretty real and then they talk about it actually Ms. Long brought something about the slavery time when Willie Lynch put the stuff in his letters about how many ways you can divide, you know, this black person up. And he talked about, you know, light skin versus dark skin, you know, and good mm-hmm. versus bad hair mm-hmm. and things of that nature. But uh, the thing that stuck out was when he was talking about the different types of shades of blacks, you know, and things of that nature. So you and in the black community, we have, you know, for a long time, uh, I grew up as a light skinned guy, you know, so for a long time, up until probably high school, I was referred to as light skin. And that was a big thing mm-hmm. with light skin and dark skin, you know, and all these different shades of black. You know, so I think way before you get into the concept of race, you almost have to talk about colorism in the black community, how that divides the community already. Yeah. You know, so then you when you look at the stuff that's going on now, you know, with protesting you know, in the Black Lives Matter movement and things of that nature, I can see how some people don't even view the movement as uh, something real because I think a lot of times when they look at the Black Lives Matter thing, they all automatically, I think they're looking at colorism and I don't think they're looking at it as a selective group of people. I think they're really just looking at this particular this particular people because um, there's been so many experiments, the 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 black doll and the white doll experiment, you know, mm-hmm. the darker the mm-hmm. doll was, the, the the badder the doll was, you know, so mm-hmm. it's, yeah, the, the one, the one where young children were asked to uh, uh, just if say which doll would be the good doll, which is the nice doll, mm-hmm. and those, is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I think you have to look at, I think you have to look at colorism first, you know, within the black community, and then you can look at, uh, Black American versus African American, but for me personally, I just dropped the African part off because I don't identify with uh, being African American at all. You know, uh, and have nothing against the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't studied it enough to say that all life, you know, comes from from Africa, even though 
there are a lot of teachings that says that all life comes from Africa. Even Jane Elliott, you know, she talks about uh, the closer to the equator, the skin complexion is dark. The further mm-hmm. you get away from the equator, the skin complexions are lighter, you know, and yep. uh, and that's what we technically there's no such thing as a white person. It's just a lighter version of a black person or something, how she mm-hmm. has it. But uh, I just think you have to look at, I think colorism plays a huge part in uh, in Black America way before we get to the African-American parts of it because I can't, when people say if I'm I African-American or not, I always quit to, to, uh, to correct them and say, no, I'm just black. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when you and it's funny that you should say that because in, in talking about colorism and you know, me knowing you personally and considering you, you know, pretty fair skin to say, no, I'm just black, like in the African American community or in the black community, you know, it, it almost doesn't equate, you know, because your skin is so fair and you say, mm-hmm. oh, I'm black. No, no, you got something else in there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's like, I was reading something uh, recently that was really interesting. It was talking about, you know, how all these uh, ancestry tests are so popular mm-hmm. right now. And uh, most people that, that think of themselves as, you know, quote unquote white, you mm-hmm. know, are only approximately 80% white. And people who are, you know, think of themselves mm-hmm. as black are only about 80% mm-hmm. black. It's interesting. So it means that, you know, for most of us, we're, you know, we might be a majority of one kind of racial identity, but very few people, you know, we're all a bunch of mutts. Yeah. <laughs> basically. And the more and the more that um, like for a while there, you know, the, the, the ideas of, of race is not not integrating as far as relationships and marriage and stuff oh. is, is becoming more antiquated. You know, we're gonna be. There's more and more, you know, racial mixing now, and it's getting to the point where, um, you know, I read another article that was really interesting, where the uh, the author was um, was you know a, a black male, how he identified, but um, he was making the argument that um, that the idea of race is is becoming more and more outdated because of those things, because the way that we're mixing, there's more because we all have so much of everything in mm-hmm. us. We might, you know, we might look a certain way, but we all have, and you know, we all have all kinds of different, you know, our ancestors come from all parts of the world. And the more that people integrate, the more we're working toward a uh, kind of an average, you know, like at some point, in some point in human history, I could e- easily see, you know, humans just kind of looking, having a, a similar look across the board, regardless of what part of the world they're from, you know, as, as human, the human race kind of becomes more integrated together. Well, you talking about like how people say all Asians look alike or something like that? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, because you have like, um, and it's interesting. I was thinking about what you said, Antonio, about your ancestors, how, you know, your your ancestor, your your family line went back from Ireland. And at a certain point, you know, your ancestors were all white until one point where you had, you know, one of your ancestors had an interracial relationship with, you know, with a, a black female. And from that point on, um, and I'm sure at that time they would have been, you know, the children would have been viewed as, you know, quote unquote black. So they would have probably married within that community. But I don't know if you have you ever wondered like how things might have been different if your ancestors had 
chosen a little bit differently. Maybe if, you know, one of, you know, the person, the, the, the child that you were related to directly from that relationship would have identified more as white or like decided to, you know, get married to a white person. And it would have been, you know, very different. I don't know. It's just, it's really interesting to me how, uh, how, how the, those, how the, the whole racial things work out here, this chance when we go back through our family lines, you know, this person did this and this person did this and kind of changed, uh, things for a lot of people. I don't know how I would have felt about it. I don't know if uh, I, I never thought about if that had to happen. Uh, if if that happened, like what would have happened to our little family? I don't know. I never thought about that. Uh-huh. I, that was never, uh, that's something I never thought about until now. Uh, you know, what happens if uh, one of those kids identify more closer to white than black and and then, you know, you don't necessarily have, you know, this version of Antonio today anyway. It may be a version of Antonio, yeah. but it may not be this version. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I never thought about that. That's an interesting concept. You know, what happens when if they had it went another way? Yeah. And, and as as people mix, too, like you're talking about the the features you know like whether it be skin color even like you pointed out with you know asians you know we people in the west you know we look at you know japanese and chinese and korean people and you know they have a slightly different shape to their eyes and so we kind of think of that as stereotypical asian but you know that's a thing that could as you know people become more and more integrated together that could kind of start to fade away or at least reach kind of a um we say like an average or something you know like where where I think I think differences I guess what I'm imagining as time goes on I feel like physical differences like that that are associated with race are going to become less and less prominent among most people. Mm. Wouldn't that have to be? Wouldn't that take place over a few hundred years though? That would be. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about <laughs> next like year. next Tuesday or anything. <laughs> yeah, not next year. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm talking about yeah over over the next few centuries maybe yeah like it's not anything that would be happen quickly but mm-hmm. you know it's really only been within the last gosh what within the last hundred years or so that that people have been the the you know I guess where people have traveled all around the world for for business and things like that you know up until you know up until like commercial airlines you know flight there was people if you, if you wanted to travel to a different country that was a huge right. deal especially if you were crossing an ocean you had to get on a boat and it'd take months to do and you might not survive it you know it was a it was a big big deal but now people just travel you know i could hop on i could get online right now and buy a plane ticket and i could head down to jacksonville tomorrow morning and i could be in china you know by tomorrow evening mm-hmm. Yeah, it just I could be in somewhere in Africa. I could be anywhere. And it's like as people do that, you know, people travel for business and leisure and they just the world, you know, what's the phrase? They say the world's becoming smaller. So people are less. uh, Yeah, it used to be that people. Yeah, people. Relationships, I guess, were based on geography, probably more than anything, Uh you know, before before there was airplanes or even cars or or trains or anything like that you know the person that you ended up marrying was going to live within a few miles of where you did and so you know over time like that i feel like physical characteristics begin to develop Mm -hmm. 
And I agree. Uh, I feel like, like you say, the world is becoming smaller and we are becoming more integrated, um, you know, one with another and, and through shared experiences. And um, I think for me, I was very encouraged, you know, over these past couple months to see that the Black Lives Matter wasn't just for Black lives, but that there were um, multiple generations and multiple ethnicities who were involved, um, who saw the injustices mm-hmm. and was willing to, you know, stand up and say something. And so I think that, you know, with each generation um, comes more acceptance, comes more, like I say, integration. Um, and eventually, you know, over time and lots and lots of time, I do agree there hopefully will be a place where there is so much blurring of the racial lines that race no longer exists. I don't know if we'll, I don't, I don't know. I might be far-fetched with that idea that race no longer exists, but that won't be as, you know, um, defining. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I guess kind of what I'm thinking. I, I, yeah, I don't think race will ever completely go away maybe, but you definitely, I could see, see it becoming less of an important thing where, there's just going to be people rather than people being like made to fit into a neat little box. It's just going to be more of a spectrum. You've got people that are more, Mm -hmm. you know, their skin tone is a little little bit darker or lighter. They might have a dark skin tone or they might have certain features, you know, that are were traditionally associated with people from Asia or Africa or Europe or um, North America before Europeans came here, any of that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But see, I think, I, okay, little geography. Okay, let's go back. Okay, your idea of everybody having the same type features, I think that was already, I, I, when all the countries were supposed to be connected, I forgot what they called it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to uh, Pangea. Yeah, Pangea. I knew it was something like that. I was going to say automatopoeia, but I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> 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 so all the cousins were connected. If you look back at some of those um, uh, documentaries, like uh, some things like the drawing, they didn't have any photographs or whatever, but the way they kind of molded up everybody, okay, kind of the same type Eskimo type person you had going on in China, kind of resembled the same type Eskimo person you had going on in modern day Canada, so to speak, or uh, North America. I think that was I think that was uh, at that kind of time. So when the, when the continent drifted apart, and then everybody got into their own separate corners, I think that's when characteristics and features started to change because mm-hmm. it's not as cold in this part of the in this part of the world. So then the people shed off, you know, clothing characteristics change. You know, uh, maybe in uh, in the desert, you know, they wrap up a little bit more because of the sandstorms and things of that nature. So characteristics change a little bit more and then of course you know I think as that has started happening then I guess Asian Asian countries you know they uh, the characters get stronger because the gene pool gets stronger and then in America the gene pool gets stronger which we had Native Americans so their gene pool gets a little stronger they you know said that most early, early Native Americans was pretty much Eskimos so mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, most of the yeah, people, yeah, they know there was the land bridge, but um, I, I, I definitely, 
I know what you're saying as far as the uh, you know certain characteristics becoming stronger as they were um, um, selected for within within small communities. But I don't I don't know about the Pangea thing though because that was you're talking about like two to three hundred million years ago. That's before Homo sapiens even existed. We were still we were still living in trees. We were still basically little monkeys at that time. <laughs> but early on in early American <laughs> development, you know what I'm saying? Early American development. You know, when you look back at a lot of the stuff that they claim the early American, then most of the characteristics were the same. Mm-hmm. Everybody had wide set noses, you know, wide set noses, stubby little bodies, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, I think most everybody kind of was the same. Way. Yeah, this thing, cause I agree with what you said um, as far as as far as we know, you know, the, the most common belief now is that civilization did begin on the African continent. Human uh, civilization began on the African continent. As people spread out, they did change to fit their suit their environment. Whereas, like you said, if you go the further you go north, the more light skinned people tended to be. You know, if you look at people in in Ireland and in Greenland or Iceland and uh, you know all that kind of stuff, they're even Russia, you know, people are very light skinned. Whereas, you know, when you go closer to the equator around the world, generally people are didn't tend to be more dark skinned um, because they're getting basically they're just getting a whole lot more sunlight. And, you know, so their their melanin is going to adapt to that. Um, I know I, I drifted down that one. That was my bad. I drifted. I didn't want to drift too bad because I just wanted to. Yeah. I, I, want, I mean, I, I thought about it. When she had when she said the Black Lives thing, and I, okay, I thought that popped into my head because she was saying all races, you know, kind of gets involved in it. Mm-hmm. And the point I was trying to make earlier about uh, the Black Lives thing, when you look at it, I think a lot of people uh, look at it from just a, a true, like it, okay, it's like a true black thing, like if all the way just black and nothing else, you know. Uh, nothing else can jump up in there into the narrative because it's just black and then amongst black people you know there are some haters in the uh, black lives matter movement i think some of those who are who hate the most on the movement that i see right now are more the uh, our uh darker sisters and brothers you know, because I think they don't view it as a Black Lives thing for them. I don't think they view it that way. Um, I think they view, it as, they view it as something completely different. So I don't know. It's hard to explain. You know, just just off the top, but the Black Lives Matter movement don't seem to matter as much as everybody else wants it to matter to Black people. Like I think Black people mm-hmm. matters because they're saying we want everything to move. You know, it's not one thing. And I think everybody I think everybody gets stuck on the one thing. And then they think, oh well, you know, you got well, what about black on black crime? And what about this? And what about um what about single parent households and what about this and uneducated kids and things of this nature? But it's everything. You want everything to move. And so that's mm-hmm. why I said I think you have to look at it almost you have to look at colorism. Before you jump into the race and everything, like you have to look at colorism. Colorism is a real thing, not just from one uh, race to another, but even within your own particular race, you know, just uh, colorism is a real thing. And it's in every race. You know, it's in every race. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just black race. But I think in the Black Lives Matter movement, 
colorism plays a real part when people see the movement. I think they see it as just, okay, if you're not a dark-skinned person, you're not black. And then when you have mm-hmm. the lighter-skinned people come out to try to support, I think they think, okay, well, you're just out here. You, you know, you're not, you're not black. You're not, you're not supporting the cause because you're not black or what have you. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's a weird thing. It's just, it's weird. But colorism is weird anyway. But at the same token, I think it plays a huge part. It plays a huge part in the Black Lives Matter movement. But nobody's really talking about the colorism part. Nobody's really talking about it. But they bring up issues based on colorism. You know, when they talk about stuff like the black on black crimes and they talk about, you know, uh, uneducated kids and all this other stuff that go around it, those things are part of colorism, but they don't talk about, they don't mm. come out right and say, you know, this is a problem right here. They just bring up something else, you know, like you have, you know, people like Candace Owens, you know, uh, what the, what's the white guy, the one that's always talking about telling black kids that they don't do well, they're not doing well because they're not in school and all this other stuff. Um, Are you talking about? The little short black, the little short white dude, the one, I forget his name. Like, talks talk really, really fast, and he's always he's always argumentative when it goes back and forth with the Black Lives Matter thing, but the stuff he's bringing up is all colorism. Everything that comes mm-hmm. out of his mouth is, is, is colorism, straight up, through and through. He's no different from writing a Willie, a Willie Lynch letter about how to divide Black Americans. There's no different. Mm. You know, and, and the stuff he's talking about is purely colorism. Now, Candace Owens more or less talks about, you know, stuff like, um, you know, stuff like economic type status, you know, but... Well, how much of that do you how much of that do you think is political? Because uh, it seems to me that there's a lot of there's a lot of disagreement um, on the best way to to approach problems. I think most Americans agree on the, the, the big issues, but it's it's the disagreement on how to best achieve those things. And it seems to me like a lot of that is very politicized, like especially, you know, I see on social media. The people, the the majority, the, the the ones that I believe in the majority that are somewhere in the middle don't really aren't as loud, so they're not as heard as often. But it's the ones who are, you know, the more extreme on the on the right and left that are the ones that get heard the most and kind of create. I think it creates a false picture that, you know, that the, they want to paint a picture that bring racial issues into it as in like, well, no, all all white people are this way or all black people are think this way, and I. I don't agree with that. I don't think, I think people are people. And, you know, if you go to any, into any ethnic or racial group, you're going to find, even if the majority feel a certain way on a certain issue, there's going to be um, differences in opinion. Mm-hmm. But um, do you feel like, do you feel like the, the politics is, is a big part of the problem with that? Maybe or it has something to do with that. I, I won't. I won't jump on the politics part because I can talk about. Okay, it. yeah, that's a that's kind of a landmine. Yeah. Maybe it's best to just avoid yeah. politics altogether. Yeah, because I can talk about this for another three hours. The that's a whole nother. Yeah, we yeah. could we could talk for six hours on that. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I I would the best I would say as this because uh you know since we have the brain, uh, what what do you think uh this one would be a great way to help this uh this movement here, like which way do you think would be the way to help it, to help everybody understand what it means to, to have the, the Black Lives Matter or 
we even see the problems that we that, that are going on right now um honestly i guess to break through that barrier like you say of, of colorism and to help the movement along my um opinion would be uh to show that this is a problem for everybody um yes it happens more in the black community um in particular, I'm talking about um, like police brutality. So uh, technology has helped the movement along a lot because I think that, you know, traditionally it's just been not a believable idea that this was going on. You know, it. it... Mm-hmm. I, I would probably say that too uh, with the technology. I was looking at some stuff last night. Uh, I think I sent a video to Ken uh, a few days ago. Uh, I think in this case, technology probably hurt us more than it helped us, you know. But, but, uh, well, but I think no, because think about with uh, Rodney King, you know, there's been reports for years about police brutality, but then when it was actually up front in everybody's face, then came reform. And I think, you know, same thing here that mm-hmm. because there's some widely spread technology that it's, you know, it's been shown repeatedly and over time um, that this has been going on. And now we can keep track, we can keep records and we have the evidence. So I think technology, well, in that regard, it has helped to bring it to the forefront. But I would say, you know, even more than that, showing that it is not just um, a Black issue. Yeah, Black Lives Matter because it happens more in the Black community. But honestly, I feel like when the people are shown that it's in their own backyard, then that's when people start to stand up and take action. I mean, I appreciate those mm-hmm. who have um, taken heart to the cause of Black Lives. But if you start showing like, you know, I'm gonna be honest, if you start showing white people getting killed like that, I think there would be more of an uprising. Because um, we are the minority. Well, why, why, why is it that you think uh, the kid that that's not shown more? Because it seems like th- there is a lot of that going mm-hmm. on, and I know I see a lot of it on social media. And the the people that I see sharing on social media are angry because they say that look, this isn't just mm-hmm. a black problem. This is this is a, a problem that involves a lot yeah. of people. However, it's only black people that get that get yeah. attention, and like you know, they're angry because they feel like, well, what about right. this person? What right. about this person and this person? And there's like instance after instance, but mm-hmm. uh, it's not. Those aren't. They're as, not televised. Front, so. They're not televised, yeah. and that's why I say that it's um, it is because of uh, uh, you know, being a minority, and because of historically the social injustices, and because we do have a, a pretty big platform. Um, for dealing with social injustices. We got some pretty good leaders who, you know, stand up and speak out for our community. But I don't see, you know, on CNN where there's a young white guy who, you know, ends up with the same fate as the young black guy. That's not televised. Um, And I think that if it was, if I think if it became a human or if it became a societal issue, then as a society, I think, Mm. you know, that would help to get more movement behind reform. Well, do you do you think that maybe the reason is just because it's more because um, the news news outlets right now are you know their their purpose is to make money, so they want especially with the age of the internet mm-hmm. now, where everything is it, most people get their news online rather than on mm-hmm. television, so it's all clickbait. You know, they want to have 
stuff that's going to get people that they want things that people are going to click on. And right now, the uh, the racial injustice is, is at the forefront of our national consciousness. So the things, you know, when there's a black person that's getting mistreated by mm-hmm. the police, it definitely it gets people's attention. Mm-hmm. However, there is, you know, there is lots and lots mm-hmm. of cases where it is lots of white people that are, you know, having the same fate like you described. But do you think that maybe it's not because that's just not uh, that's just not where the attention is right now? They just they feel like that's not what's going to. What's going to get people's attention? Yeah, it's not going to get people's attention, but I say that it's actually deeper rooted than that. I think it's more for the emotional reaction. I know that, you know, um, throughout, you know, history and years of um, dealing with inequality and things, they they draw on people's emotion. And so if you look at decades Mm -hmm. and and getting up to now, it's like, oh, man, look at how... uh, Badly, the African-American community has been treated. Look at the brutality from the African-American community. And then, too, now it's even um, extended to the Hispanic community. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. essentially, basically, is racism. I'm going to be honest. It's just racism because when you think about um, looking from what we call like white man and white man's always trying to keep somebody down. And so nobody is going, I'm not going to say nobody, is going to be rare to get a strong emotional reaction from uh, that kind of footage from a, a, a Caucasian or a white guy being mistreated because they're the enemy. Um, they're the one that's always yeah, that's the top. They're the one that's ahead. And so, you know, it's kind of not who cares, but, you know, it's not as bad and it's not as emotional reaction when it's somebody, when it's a minority. Yeah. If it's a majority, it's like, well, you're, you know. But but at the same time, I, I like what you said a minute ago that, that if if maybe if that was put out front more for people to mm-hmm. see it, then it would be more more in the national consciousness and might be able to get more progress mm-hmm. made. Because I think uh, I think you're right. I think there's people on both sides, and and really, I mean, I I see people that are like the whole like when when people the all lives yeah. matter people, yeah. you know, like a lot of those they're they're not they're not necessarily trying to discount. Mm-hmm black lives but they, they they get angry because they think like oh well the black people they don't want us to see all these white people getting mistreated mm-hmm. by police because they only care about mm-hmm. them they don't care about mm-hmm. us and there's even this i, I thought, find it really interesting that you said that even among the black people yeah. there's it's not that they don't care about white people it's like oh no we've had more yeah. of a history of oppression mm-hmm. with this is so that's more what they're focused mm-hmm. on too so people on both sides are more focused on it but um yeah, yeah i think yeah it's really interesting that if we could if we could just maybe have more exposure to all of yeah. it, all people and and help the 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 nation right. understand that this isn't a racial issue this is more of a deeper issue that there is even if there's an element of racism to it it's not it's it's bigger than it that is. even there's a there's a bigger problem that needs to be addressed yeah and i like i said i do appreciate those who who though they got behind the the cause even if they didn't feel like it hit their community um, because mm-hmm. it will benefit their community. I think reform for one can be reform for all. Um, mm-hmm. But I do feel like some people, they do, and not not even, I know we don't want to get off into politics and other things, but if we look like economic wise, uh, there may be this idea that, okay, that's not my problem because I don't live in that neighborhood or that's not my problem because I'm not exposed to you know those kind of conditions. That's, that's somebody else's problem. Um, but if, hmm. it, you know, if there was exposure, like, no, this is everybody's problem. It might not be everybody's fault, but it does become everybody's problem. Oh, man. Wow. 
<laughs> dropping some wisdom on us here. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah I didn't really think about it that way, you know, but it might not be everybody's fault, but it's there, it definitely could be everybody's uh, problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, dealing with the, the, the black lives versus all lives and, and things of that nature, my take from it um, is um, I, I think it's like how you go back to the civil rights movement. We know with Dr. King was just that, okay, this is not just something that we're just, it's not like it's a social experiment to try to see exactly what you could get to come out of it. You know, you're asking for very specific things to come out of it. And then, like you said, one thing is going to affect everybody. And, you know, but right now, you know, uh, I think when you're talking about looking at what happens amongst all the races, it was just more prevalent. You know, like Ms. Long is saying that historically, it's just been more prevalent on the on the black side of life because since uh, since slavery times, when you're talking about being mistreated, I mean that comes from man way way back from 1700 something. You know when when they first officially started. You know with 1754 when they officially had slavery in in the United States or in the colonies, you could say or whatever. Mm-hmm. You go from there to freeing slaves, and then the mistreatment from the early 1900s, and people being incarcerated, people being lynched. You know, just with the lynchings by themselves, that just was even wasn't even looked into. I mean, just think about that. If, if your family member get drugged out of the house and mm-hmm. never return, you find them in a tree a few days later, and nobody even bothers to figure out who did it. Right. Yeah. You know, so that means you have to live with that which in your family. Think about how, how many generations go through a family, you know, from uh, lynching to now. And then they're understanding that, well, my great, 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 whatever was lynched, you know, when I was 10 years old, 12 years old, whatever the case may be, or five years old, you know. So um, just think about how many more generations that that's going to fit. How many more people going to be like, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to be a uh, gun ho about the police when I know the sheriff came to my house and I recognize his voice as one of the mobsters or look, he looked me dead in my eye and told me, you know, some crazy thing or whatever. And that's something you remember for the rest of your life. So when you get to this movement here, you know, you have some families who have suffered tremendously. I can't say my family has tr- suffered tremendously through injustice. Even though I grew up in the South, mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't say my family was uh, uh, suffering uh, tremendously. I can say, I can say, however, that I have seen my mother and my grandmother been mistreated, you know, not necessarily by police, but I can say I've seen them being mistreated, you know, in grocery stores and things of this nature and stuff like that. You know, what they call now, what they call it, microaggressions and all of those. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. see those things. You know, then you got to think too. see all of those things come into play. I think that's why you have so many, when people talk about just one facet of the movement, when they just talk about the one facet of it, and I guess some of that can be political, it's, it's, it's not just, just this one little thing about police brutality, but think about how many times a person is just pulled over for nothing. How many times a person put up against a wall, you know, to be patted down or bust up in your house when you're having dinner and then they just, you know, going through your house because they can or 
they're in your yard, you know, because they would just happen to be out and out there bored. All of these little things of stuff that's said to you, you know, when you're shopping, people followed in, in stores. When I was uh, coming up, they had those huge mirrors in the corner of the stores. And mm-hmm. it was always something TV show about somebody being followed, you know, through a through a store or something like that. All of those little things like that. See, those are the little things that most other races did not have to go through. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have to go through those little things. You know, when when you were when you're just trying to go out and go uh, get groceries for the day. You know, and you got to pull out because back then food stamps wasn't loaded on a card. You know, mm-hmm. food stamps was these little bills that you, you know, printed yeah. inside of a thing. So, the yeah, actual stamps. Yeah. yeah, actual stamps. You know, so I remember my mom going to the store and one of the cashiers not wanting to take the stamps because they wasn't in the book when she got to the register. You know, so mm-hmm. like that, you know, so you're like, well, what's the problem? It's still, a, no matter what, it's the food stamp is still a food stamp, it's still good. Doesn't matter if it's in the book or out of the book, it's it's still, you know, in it's still a uh, food staff or whatever, you know. But stuff like that, when yeah. you get to a movement like this, all of those things come into play. All of it comes into play because think again, all the way back from those generations, if you had a family member that was lynched, and then you have generation after generation hearing the story of why your great, great, great somebody was lynched or whatever, then you have your own little aggressions that people have done. You mm. might have been mistreated once or twice in your life. Now you get down here to the Black Lives Matter movement and all this other stuff. And then you have these, this, this stuff that seems to be widespread killings of unarmed Black men and women or what have you. Mm-hmm. All of that comes into play. That's a lot to go up against a person, you know. I mean, just think about in other countries. I'm pretty sure there's oppression in, in, uh, in Asian countries. I'm pretty sure there's oppression in... Uh, in Canada, some form of fashion. I mean, there's Mexico. Uh, there's oppression in all types of other countries. Uh, South America, I'm quite sure there's oppression down there too, some kind of way. But it just seems like here in the U.S. is just way more prevalent than what it should be, you know, for mm-hmm. any particular race of so people. I'm just, I mean, just, I mean. That's just it's just a lot to go through. I don't want I want to get off and talk. That's a whole nother conversation. I can really get off yeah. into that thing. We, <laughs> I'm curious. I, I was I would like to ask uh, Lakita. I'll ask you a question. Kind of I'd like to take this back around to the uh, the the social work aspect that you know. So it's what we yeah. do. That, you know, Antonio and I are uh, social work master students, and and you know, we're we're trying to change the world. Yeah. And uh, so I feel like. Um, I feel like you made a really, really interesting point that, that I hadn't really thought of. And well, I guess maybe I have, but not in, in quite those terms. And I think a lot of other people might not have that the reasons why the um, when it comes to police brutality that, you know, there's there's people extremes, you know, there's like people on one side who are thinking, well, this is all just that's all mm-hmm. it is. All police do is they just they just jack mm-hmm. people up against the wall and shoot them. And, and then you've got people on the other side who are like, oh, it's just that's it doesn't even exist. Yeah. There's there's no such thing as police brutality. Yeah. It's it's y'all, y'all are just making yeah. it up. And I think if you made a really good point that if if people if, if all of these instances were brought to the forefront, regardless of the mm-hmm. race, if people would maybe focus a little bit less on the race and focus more on the, the actual problem. Mm-hmm then it wouldn't be just a problem for black people or a problem for white people or a problem. It'd be a problem with, for, for America, for all of us collectively. Mm-hmm. 
and we might be able to get. So what I guess what I'm wondering is, what do you do you have any ideas of what would be the best way or what maybe the social workers could do to try to affect change in that area? Um, we obviously don't work for the media, so we can't dictate <laughs> what, what the media we can't dictate what the media shows. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know what I, I'm, I'm trying to wonder what we can do if there is anything that we could we could do in our own little corner mm-hmm. of the world to try to help that problem. I, I would say first of all that you know I don't hold it against you guys that you went the social work route. I blame your parents. Um, <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, thank you on that part. <laughs> Yeah, from from professional counselors. Uh, And I would say that what you can do is to um, set the example and not make one instance more important than the other instance, that whatever comes across your plate, you deal with it with as much enthusiasm as you would any other that you treat all cases that you manage, you treat them all fairly. Um, And I would also say though, to be very honest with yourself, when you do find that you have personal biases um, or when you come across cases that, you know, your history may dictate, you you know, that you feel one way about it or another, to be honest with yourself, um, to stay under supervision, to have a resounding board, to, you know, have that honest conversation with, so that you can approach each case with enthusiasm and with clarity and without the discrimination. Oh yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> man, we are <laughs> Antonio, people start listening to us, man. Yeah. Just don't know, man. We they, we could change the world. <laughs> I've always, I, I'm always surprised whenever we have conversations that, you know, I, I, I just, I don't anticipate any problems to get solved. I just think, well, we're going to talk about this a little bit and, and then, you know, by the end of an hour, we've you know pretty much come up with some solid solutions for things. And it's like, man, why does it, why don't the world just listen to us? <laughs> <laughs> right, we just solving, solving world issues right here one hour to come. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you know, that's that's not a, that's not a quick fix, obviously, but I do like uh Lakita, I really, really mm-hmm. like your your recommendation for us to to make a difference where we yeah. are. You know, we it it, it reminds me of a a story I heard one time there was a a group of, of guys trying to move a grand piano there's there's like 10 guys and they're all standing around they're trying to they're debating on well no we should do this we should do this well we should put some straps under it we need to get a dolly we need to do that and they're all bickering and arguing with each other and they're all standing around the piano and then one of them says I, I I've, I've got the solution and he says just lift where you stand mm-hmm. And everybody just where they were around the piano just, and, you know, they could lift it. I mean, you know, and there's the, the lesson there being that, you know, if everybody just comes together and just puts the effort in, in that little, wherever their sphere of influence mm-hmm. is, then you can get big things done. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in a social work world, you guys probably hear about the systemic approach. Uh, and that's, that's that idea that it's not all on one. And, you know, mm-hmm. the idea that the black lives movement, you know, if it only just take black lives to get it done, it's it's going to be a very hard struggle. But if each person, each each, you know, economic class, each race, each ethnicity, if each person, and I know we're getting away from politics, but if each political party, if each person lifted, like you say, their where they stand, 
then yeah. systemically we can get more done than just one doing it. Absolutely. You're right about that. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, we have good stuff. An hour, you know, uh, and I would, you know, have no issue continue on through the hour, but we do try to keep it at the hour. Yeah, we try to keep it because yeah, Antonio and I can talk yeah. in case he hasn't told us. We yeah, we could we could sit here and talk for the next three wow. hours, and so we, we we have to kind of monitor right, ourselves. Right. And say, okay, we need to we, we we try to keep it under an hour. Once it gets starts getting over an hour, we're like, hey, we need to wrap this up. <laughs> it's good stuff. Want to help you know some whoever's listening right now. Hopefully, they can gain something from it. Mm-hmm. To maybe enjoy it as much as we do. Yeah. I mean, we we enjoy talking about these issues and mm-hmm. trying to put our heads together and solve things and like you said sometimes you know we agree sometimes we don't agree but i think it's it's important to be able to talk and that's really when it's the most important when people disagree on issues we have to be able to talk to each other and we have to be able to see each other's point of view and i I feel like that's so important right now because i feel like that's a big part of what we're lacking in the world right now. yeah and i'll tell you it's been an honor and a pleasure to be a part of this podcast and um, just to be a part of this conversation, very thought provoking and leaves me, you know, uh, walking away with um, some motivation and, and some enthusiasm um, and even considering my part of the world and, and the things that I do um, and, and how, you know, moving forward, I can help and, and I can exact some change. And, and like you say, my own part of the world. Well, awesome. Well, it's been it's been an honor having you on here, Lakita. Thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. Really enjoy. Yeah, anytime. Well, feel free to definitely come back. So before we wrap it up, uh, well, we try to leave with something on a good positive note. So uh, if you could roundtable, we just leave it to our guests to do our positive note for the day. You want to leave us with something? something oh. Positive? A positive note for today. Um, I will. I'll just put out there um, something. I guess I'll just go ahead and tie this all together. It's something that's really um, been on my heart and mind lately came after I watched uh, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can glean a lot of stuff from anywhere. And uh it was mm-hmm. pretty interesting. So I'm watching it. I've just never been a Star Wars fan. I missed it when it came. I'm, you know, I'm just getting into it. So I'm watching it, and um, it's this scene where Luke is in the swamp with Yoda, and he's trying to get back because you know he's hearing that his friends are getting captured, and he has to get back and get there. But his ship is in the swamp, and so Yoda, Yoda's trying to tell him like, "No, you need to stay here. Finish your Jedi training. You're not ready to face." Um, Anakin, you know, he'd say. But Luke's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, no, I gotta get my friends. I gotta get my friends. So Yoda, you know, gives him a way to get his ship, like, use the force and, you know, like, mine, get this ship out of the water. And Luke couldn't do it. You know, he tried, but he couldn't. And, um, and Yoda, though, Yoda stretches out his hand and he, like, raises the ship and sets it on the land. And Luke looks at him and says, I can't believe it. And Yoda looks at Luke and says, that's why you failed. And I oh, yeah, yeah. Him, yep. I know. I was waiting for it. I'm a Star Wars fan. See, I know it's coming. I'm all, I'm getting chills. Yeah. Man, I know what she's getting yeah. to. It's so good. I, and, I, and, I, and I, man, it hit me hard because I'm like, man, how much, just think individually, how much we may have missed out on because we failed to believe. 
Um, and then, and then thinking, you know, even more along the lines of what we've been talking about society-wise, how much have we probably missed out on as a society? Because we as a society couldn't believe that it would happen or that it, it could happen. So, you know, my my words of encouragement would be to believe, to believe that it can happen. Mm. Oh, well, that's a good... That's mm-hmm. a mic drop. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Lee, with social media, you have any social media you'd like to share with the people? Um, yeah, you can find me at an, uh, Encouragement Counseling on Facebook. Uh, encouragement Counseling on Facebook? Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's the social media. Uh, can yeah. you have any social media? No, I'm very modest. <laughs> 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 um yeah you, you you can look me up on twitter at uh at kenny obara 2112 that's at k-e-n-n-y-o-b-a-r-a-2112 um my full name on facebook i'm kenneth wayne obara look me up cool all right so <clears throat> of course uh the podcast uh social media is classroom 21 it's on facebook mm-hmm. uh you can anyone can join uh, join the conversation. The podcast will post it on the conversation. Um, our the pod, podcast also broadcast at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, you can find me on uh, Facebook as well, Antonio Clyde Facebook. And you can also, uh, I'll be on the Classroom 21 Facebook post almost all the time. So if you leave um, a post on there, either me or Ken or somebody will jump on and try to respond. Um, you can also uh, find us at uh, Classroom 21 with two M's at Gmail. Uh, that's the uh, email for us, uh, gmail.com. So Classroom 21 with two M's at gmail.com. Uh, We're currently working on Classroom 21 website and some other things. So uh, in the near future, keep listening because you never know. Uh, we may just be in a neighborhood somewhere next to you. You know, so um, we hope that Ms. Long will come back and uh, give us some more knowledge, some more mic dropping uh, knowledge. Oh, yeah. You uh, know, so um, <clears throat> we, uh, we appreciate you guys listening and we'll see you on the next go around. Awesome. Okay. All right. Ne- next time. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. You too. Bye.